Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Oh, um, actually, if you don't need to answer that. I just hope something good has happened today because right now something good is going to happen because the Two Shot Podcast is back. I know, I know, I know. I've just checked and I thought, God, it seems like a long time since we had that episode with Jack Loudon. And I looked at the dates and it is, it's it's like five weeks ago. Um, but life and homeschooling has just uh, got in the way. But... The good news is, yes, today we are back and we will be back at the usual time and date next week, next Thursday. The next month we've got in the bank and just you wait, some really interesting, fascinating, funny conversations coming your way over the next four weeks with some brilliant people. Um, I just said with some, with some brilliant people. Yes, it's late, I'm tired. I'm recording this at... Five to nine on Thursday night. Um, but for you, happy Friday, end of another week. Um, what else has been going on? Yeah, lots of recordings. It was lovely. I saw producer Griff in the flesh for the first time a few weeks ago in a year, um, which was surreal and brilliant at the same time. I can't tell you. We're not allowed to tell you of this new little project we're working on, but it's great to be back in the room with him. And he's on fine, fine form. And a few of you uh, got in touch and said how much you really liked the Q&A episode that myself and Griff did a while back. I can't remember when that was. Oh, everything's blurred now. The days and weeks are blurred, aren't they? Let's get some clarity back. Um... So maybe we'll do one of those in the future. That sound good? Maybe we'll do that, shall we? Yeah, maybe we will. But this week, it's episode 141, and I had a sit-down in my house, and Catherine Rose Morley had a sit-down in her house, and we connected over the internet, as is the way. Um, but she's great. Look, you're going to know Catherine... She's an incredible actress. She's from Liverpool. If you're a big fan of Last Tango in Halifax, you'll know her from that. You'll know her from Channel 4's The Mill. And she's going to be starring in the new drama The Syndicate, which is going to be on BBC One. Also starring past TSP fave guest and all-round superhuman. He's not a superhuman. Uh, Mr. Neil Morrissey. So, yeah, obviously we're all going to be tuning in for that. Um, Should we get down to it? Let's do it. This is episode 141 of the Two Shot Podcast with the brilliant Catherine Rose Morley. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. That's a bit croaky there, sorry. Get to the episode. Finally, I'm not going to bore... The listeners, but we had technical <laughs> issues last week when we wanted to do this, Catherine. But um, we are sorted now. Um, I'm not going to ask you how you are, and that's not because I'm an incredibly cruel <laughs> human being. It's like every time people ask now, it's like, oh, well, what do you think? I'm just, it's just grim. It's yeah. just grim. So, um, and I don't want to touch too much on what's going on in the world because what's left to be said yeah same old uh, it's every conversation is the same isn't it yeah every conversation frankly it's just slightly dull and people tune into this to get away from that but i do want to touch on what's going on with regards to work even though we're not going to talk too much about work but this is more about i've had a few people say to me that they even though they're not starting back yet, they're feeling quite cautious about it. Yeah. Um, and it increases their anxiety. And, and I've tried to reassure them. I've said, well, there's certainly the sets that I've been on 
late last year were incredibly safe, you know, in some respects. Safer. You know, the safest, safest place to be. Yeah. But I was thinking about you, and you were one of the first people I know that was going back. Yeah, we did. We, it was about five months after our initial start date. So, it was, you know, it felt like a big chunk of time, but we were, we were one of the first. And I think I was slightly nervous and think, oh, what's this new world going to be like? Um, but uh, Kay and everyone at Rollin were so brilliant about it. And the BBC, and we actually did, um, we all got tested beforehand, but we did a very initial, which I've never done before, I don't know if you have, like a pre-shoot day, just to kind of see how everything was going to work. And if... If it was all, if we couldn't use any of it, it's fine. Mm. And I, it was like, it was so invaluable because it was just mm. this one day to kind of everyone to figure out what's happening, what we can and can't do. And I think everyone just kind of like relaxed a little bit and thought, okay, just breathe a little bit. And then we kind of, then from there, you get into a rhythm of how it works. And like you said, it is one of the safest places because mm. everyone is so cautious mm. because you know productions have carried on and then had to stand down because someone's and it spread so quickly which is happening more and yeah. more you keep uh, hearing it production started yeah. you know speaking to somebody a while ago oh, we started filming for two days and then someone tested positive well that's it that's it <clears throat> shut down shut it shut it all down we were really lucky that we didn't have to stand down they did we did have a couple of cases but we'd caught them before they'd come into contact with anyone before they'd come onto set. So we were so lucky in mm. in that respect. But I think anyone who is feeling slightly anxious about it, I think it's been happening now. So we start in August. There's, you know, COVID officers on set. You all have to, I don't know if you've done this as well, we had to take an online COVID course. So we're educated. And I feel like every measure has been put into place. Oh, absolutely. I mean, on it's so, so many levels. Just complete vigilance. Yeah. And, you know, we have to, you have to sign the forms Everything. every day before you get into work, make sure you get scanned, tested twice a week, sometimes three yeah. times a week. Temperature checks um, on the daily. Yeah. I don't yeah. know about you, though, the, the fear that I was going to test positive, though, every time that COVID test came round. I was like, oh God, I hope it's not me. It's like taking, an, get... it's like taking an exam at school when you think, Oh God, have I actually have I revised enough for this? It was a bit like that, <laughs> and you go, "Oh, please don't let it be me! Please don't let it be me!" I don't want to be the one that, that shuts the whole production. I know, down. I know. And the later it got on in our shoot, we actually ended up at the end of the shoot. We went to Monaco, which was incredible. But obviously, the later it gets on, you can't. It, we have to get the work done. We can't yeah. afford to stand down at that point in the game. So that the last couple of weeks were were a bit tense of going. Everyone stay very very safe. So we were in Monaco, but couldn't go anywhere. We just stayed in the hotel. I mean, you were so incredibly lucky to actually even go be able oh, to fly over there I know. because I know it wasn't originally Monaco, was it that you were going to? Yeah, it was originally Vegas. It was Vegas. It was. Wasn't it? Yeah. it was Vegas. Um, but I do because have I, I do have flashbacks from Vegas from a very. Um, uh, drunken hen do so maybe it's a good thing yeah. that I didn't go back <laughs> let's face it probably Monaco was the safer option yeah. no I remember um, a very excited Neil Morrissey telling me that he was going to Vegas I know and, he'd, and have loved, he'd have loved yeah. it he'd have loved it but I actually think it's, it's funny how things work out for the story I think Monaco is actually a much better um, place to be right I think the disparity between the rich and the poor is so much greater over there you re you know mm. really is the wealthiest of people whereas in vegas you know pretty much most people can go to vegas if you save you know a little bit or you know whereas monaco is it's high end it's it's where you go when you've got the millions so and it's like what you were saying before just with regards to work you after a while for people that are nervous and, and feeling quite cautious you do get into that rhythm oh absolutely you know it's 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 as it's like just like now with day-to-day -day life if you go into a supermarket you're putting it on and you're coming out you're immediately 
cleaning your hands. Absolutely. It's just second nature. You just you just do it. it so you get into that rhythm. It just becomes such a routine. And I think once you're there, it's like like you you know go to the supermarket, whatever. It just this is our daily life now, and we we adapt. And, and did you did you feel a great sense of relief when you'd when you'd wrapped up the series? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. It was just gearing up to kind of get it, not get it finished. We had to, you know, take our time and enjoy it as well. But there is a massive relief because, especially for for, for me and and the other guys in the syndicate, we were in pretty much every single day. So there is a real pressure on you can't have that. You can't get it. Because if we, if one of us get it, it, it really does. You know, they can't rearrange the schedule. They can't put other scenes in. We're in every scene, so it's yeah. it, it, the relief. I remember getting home and opening a bottle of champagne as soon as I got in. I was like, I'm done. We did it. It was great. I mean, it is it is a a tricky thing. I mean, you you know that when the the, the long-running soaps went back. They sort of adapted and just went, right, well, it's just two people in a scene and we can shoot this and we can carry on the storyline, with we can adapt. But with an ambitious ensemble drama, what you've been doing, it's like if if anything goes wrong, it's, I mean, it's a house of cards, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there was a moment as well where when we did um, the bit before we picked up, Kay thought, shall I change the script? I think she had a moment of, shall I bring COVID into it? And she thought, no. And I'm so glad she didn't because, like, even, you know, we're, we're talking about it and I think people just... I'm definitely getting to the point where I'm like, I, even the word COVID is getting on my nerves. It, it's it, Everyone's just so fed up with it that I think we are l- leaning more towards programmes or films or whatever that just have absolutely no bearance on the world that we're living in right now. Mm. Um, I think we all need that bit of escapism. I know I oh, definitely absolutely. do. I know I definitely oh, do. God. And I, I mean, I'm having to like I can't watch the news anymore. I stopped doing that uh, yeah, quite a while. Ago. There's certain times when I need to, maybe once a week, or I listen to some sort of headlines. Um, and you know, the the Saturday and Sunday papers are all about the recipes. <laughs> That's the escapism. Get into the kitchen. Oh, get definitely. I'll tell you what annoys me even more is when people say COVID. <laughs> but that's a, that, that's a completely different podcast, and let's not go there. Let's talk about Liverpool. Yeah, let's talk about Liverpool. Great, great city. That was the, one of the last cities I went to before. Was it? Well, I was. Were you yeah, working? Yeah, I went. I went to an exhibition at the Tate. Oh, great! And had some, and had some food when we were allowed. Oh, where did you go? And, uh, I Can went to a lovely restaurant on Bold Street called Mirai. Oh, love Mirai. Love oh, it. What? So good. So, so good. Absolutely spectacular. Yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. Big shout out to Murray. Please up. come on. Welcome. You can <laughs> the podcast when you like. Um, yeah, but let's talk about growing up in Liverpool. Whereabouts were you when you were growing up? So I grew up um, in a place called Walton Village, which mm. is in South Liverpool. Um, right. And it was me, my mum, my dad, my two older brothers. And yeah, I, I'm... I'm very lucky that I had such a brilliant childhood. I was a very close family, all of us. You know, we are really close. And now that we're all grown up, and even though I don't live here anymore, we're all so close. My Both of my brothers now have children. I've got five nieces and nephews and one on the way. And, right. it's, you know, it's a madhouse when we're all together. But I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I remember... Th- feeling like I was quite maybe naive maybe quite innocent of going every, well every family's like mine you know I was so naive to that until I moved to London and went to drama school and I went and far from it and yeah. I went and it was a real reality check and I think I grew up quite a lot and realized wow I'm very very lucky that I've had the parents that I've had and the the life that they brought me up in and do you know, even just you know, we didn't have much, you know, we, my mum and dad are very, you know, working class. Um, my mum and dad both left school at 14 to work. They never did any higher yeah. education, worked their entire lives. But the support that I have from them, and even now, even like at 31 and sometimes you think you get to 18 and you don't really need your parents anymore. I've needed my parents more in the last couple of years than I think I ever have done. And I think I feel, yeah, very lucky about that. I think, you know, not to bring it back to 
you know, current circumstances. But I think a lot of people have found, even if they haven't been with their immediate families, that in some respects it has brought them closer together, obviously not yeah. physically. But it, I think it has done from, you know, just dropping a quick text or yeah. for having a, a little phone call. Definitely. Well, f- funnily enough, I haven't lived at home for about 11 years. So yeah. I was meant to start the syndicate and I thought, I'll go and see my mum and dad for a week before filming starts because you know what it's like. You get busy and, and you can't see them as much. Mm. Then it was lockdown. So I ended up staying with my mum and dad for, I think it was about 14 weeks. And now I haven't lived at home for 11 years. And then it was wow. just me, me mum and my dad. It was hysterical. Um, well, how well, was how one of us, I mean, how one of us didn't commit a murder, I don't know. But, <laughs> but like, it was a massive shift for us all, massive shift, because my dad is a workaholic and always has been. He, he gets up at three in the morning, he's at work for four and he gets in at like six. And that is his whole life and always has been. What does he do? He's, he's got a scaffolding company. Right. And yeah, that's all he's done his whole life. And then all of a sudden, nothing. Like he works six days a week. And then it was like he was in the house and he was like living with a child because he just didn't know, not, didn't know what to do with himself. But we've, you know, we found our rhythm, we found our routine. And if, retrospectively, I look back and I think, I will never, ever get that time with my mum and dad ever again. Do you know, I never, ever will. I'd never get just us for that amount. I've never been home, just the three of us, for that long in years and years and years. And I feel so blessed that I can look back and be like, I spent that time with them. And like you say, we we definitely had our moments. Well, I mean, it's inevitable. inevitable. How how incredible that you were all, with time, able to adapt. Yeah, and we did very, you know, quite... Not necessarily very quickly, but we did. We did our walks. I did a lot of bacon, which everyone was happy about. I said, I thought if my dad was like roaming around, I'd go, Dad, I'm just going to make a Victoria sponge. He'd be like, Oh, yeah, go on, girl. Yeah, go on. <laughs> and he's all right then for the rest of the day. I know how to get around him. Just bake a Vicky sponge. God, yeah, he did. Re- re- he reverted to the child. Oh, my dad. Yeah, 100%. It was, and it's a shock. You know, my dad's. He's. He's in his 60s and his whole life has been work. Mm. And I think it was a big shock. a real. But in some ways I'm glad because it slowed him down a little bit. He was forced to slow down. Well, that that is the thing with people who, whether they're workaholics or not, always need to be on the go. They need to be doing something. Yeah. And when there's an... Uh, you're enforced... It's an enforced lockdown and you go, well, no, I'm taking this away from you. You yeah. can't... You, you can't do anything... You've got no choice yeah. but to adapt. It was it was tough, and I think everyone had their own experiences of it, didn't they? Mm. But we, we managed to get through it relatively unscathed. <laughs> and we're all still friends. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Just about. Um, can we talk about school? Yeah, let's talk about school. How was school for you? Do you know what? I loved it. I knew you were going to say but that. But not academically. But I loved going to school to be with me. More the social aspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I wasn't particularly... I was kind of, like, in the middle. I wasn't the brightest. Um, but I also did... did I like do, I like, quite like schoolwork. Is that a really bad thing to say? No. Um, but it's not really... It doesn't make me look very cool. But I did. I, I quite like... I quite enjoyed it. Um, There's nothing wrong with not looking cool. I'm not okay? cool. The thing is, I'm not cool. I, I'm past the point of trying <laughs> to pretend that I am. <laughs> definitely not. I'm definitely not. Even my five-year-old nieces don't think I'm cool, which I really... Oh, they th- definitely wouldn't. But I really thought they would, Craig. I really thought I'd have my me, me nieces on my side, but even they don't think I am. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait till you start having children. Oh. If, if that's a path you go down, you know, I know. you'll never be cool. No. Don't worry. Um, but no, I did, and I, I've made some amazing friends, and I'm still friends now. There's, there's a group of us, and it's the most invaluable group of girls that I have, you know... We've been friends for over 20 years now. And that is the biggest thing I think I'll take away from school is those, you just grow up with these with this mm. group of people and you have this shared experience and history. And they're, they're an amazing 
bunch of girls. They really are. I went to an all-girls Catholic school. It was very strict. Right, OK. Really strict. Oh, was it very oh, strict? Oh, God, yeah. We had, you know, skirts down to our shins and it was run by a sister. We all used to call her Sam. Right. Sister Anne-Marie. Um, couldn't, couldn't put a foot wrong. You know, it was really... You know, they were on it. Um, but obviously, to, like I said, I wasn't particularly academic. And in my kind of teenage years, I realised that I've always danced. I danced since I was about, since I got to walk, really. Right. And then I got to year seven. And I remember my dance drama teacher at the time being like, I think you should, I think you should try some acting. I think you should go to a drama club outside of school. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I really think you should. So I did. So I went to the Everyman and Playhouse Youth Theatre and just thought, this is for me. I was like, I love it, yeah. I just, was that weekends? Or no, was that it, was, so it was after school. So I think it would right. be like a Tuesday evening, six till nine it was or something like mm. that. Um, and I did, and then I stayed with the Everyman for about seven years, eight years before I moved. That was like my upbringing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was like my childhood, It's being there. And when I wasn't there, I wanted to be there. So you had great start of the, you, your education there yeah. with regards to acting, but also the great balance of the, you know, the social aspect yeah. of wanting to be there. I, I think that's one of the reasons I love this job is the social aspect. I, I, I absolutely love meeting new people. I, mm. And I think, I think that's always been in me, maybe, even since I just since a kid. Of just wanting to, and and to be around people who enjoy what I enjoy. Yeah. Do you know when you meet someone who loves it as much as you, you're like, this is great. I want to be here. I want to be with these people. Because well, well, you're all in the same. You're you know, you're all in the same club. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like you're all in the same gang. Yeah, it's like having your own little gang. Yeah. So I was I was you know very lucky that I, I had that, and the Everman's still going. It's a, it's an amazing place for young people. That the youth theatre. And I think, without it, don't know, don't know what I'd be doing. God knows. Well, down a, going down a different path, surely, possibly. Possibly. I mean, I, I remember getting to my, doing my A-levels and thinking, what am I going to do next? Because I never, ever, ever in a million years thought I'd do it as a job. Never. Why is that? Did I didn't think, think it was possible. I didn't think... I just thought it was a hobby. Like, my brothers played football and they loved that. I thought this was the, my hobby that I loved. I never in a, I knew my brothers weren't going to be footballers. So I was like, even though they probably wish they were. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't ever in a million years. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, maybe I should go to uni. So I thought, well, that's the only thing I really like. So I'll, I'll apply to uni. And I remember being on UCAS. I was looking at like different universities and this place called Royal Welsh came up and I was like, what's Royal Welsh? Is that a university? And I looked into it, it was a drama school. Didn't know, mm. I actually didn't know what a drama school was. Didn't know that they existed. Oh, you didn't even know Did, they existed? No, I, did, I, I don't know where I was sitting, but I didn't know that you could go to somewhere like that and do, you know, a vocational course. And I was like, I want to go there. Mm. So I auditioned. I think I got a recall but didn't get in and I was devastated absolutely devastated so I decided to take a year out and I worked in a couple of different schools teaching drama in oh, that year you? yeah and I thought I, I mean I didn't know what I was doing me and my mum got the train to Cardiff and made like a trip out of it and I didn't know what I was doing there like I, I just kind of went turned up and did it and then I realised oh actually I need to think about this I need to think yeah. about this, the monologues that I choose and and I tried to get a fat, then I discovered all the drama schools and seriously kind of considered it in that year and, and then went back. But even then, I never thought I'd do it as a career. So even in that year off, when you were teaching in schools, you weren't thinking, oh, yeah, this is, this is the job, this is what I'm going to be doing, or at I, least aspire to? It, it's a really strange thing. I just didn't think that... Because it was a hobby that I loved, I didn't ever think mm. I could make a career. I know this sounds maybe quite contradictory. I never thought I could make a career out of it because it, I never saw anyone around. I didn't know anybody in the industry to kind of go, oh, yeah, you could do it. I didn't know how you got into it. I didn't know what agents were. I was so kind of like, you know, naive to this whole industry. Mm. But I just knew I loved it. I loved going to theatre. I loved being in, in plays and... 
but there was a, there was a time that I remember I was I was meant to in sixth form I was meant to be going to like extra English revision classes but I kept missing them because I was going to be drama you know classes and my English teacher said something like well you know you have to take this seriously you know what, what are you going to do after you finish and I said well I think I think I might go, want to go to drama school you know kind of I'd said it out loud for the first time I think I might want yeah. to go to drama school and she went well you're living in cloud cuckoo land if you think that's going to happen and part of Ooh. I know and part of me was like I'm going to drama school yeah. <laughs> you've just spurt, by uh, yeah. saying that you've just I know she could have even she, if she hadn't have said it I'd have gone yes miss I will come to my English class but I went I'm going to drama school and I and I do have that little bit in me of going if someone says I can't do it even if I don't want to do it I'm going to do it mm. so so I did it and then the rest is history really and you were saying earlier on when we started what you know what a loving and supportive family that you grew up in were your mum and dad supportive of this decision so supportive they love it they love it that you know i think they're happy because i'm happy yeah you know and it's not it's not brilliant all the time i've had you know tough couple of years of you know and i haven't but you know you know what it's like being rejected and unemployment and it's a hard um profession i think people see it's quite glamorous and oh far from it and you know when you're not working well you're not really doing much you're just lazing around when you're not working (laughs) actually it takes so much spirit and resilience to carry on and i think that is what being an actor is is having that resilience and self-belief even when you doubt yourself there is still something always inside that goes I know I can do this I just know I can otherwise you you would eventually pack it in and do something else is that something that you've slowly learned along the way or is it something that was instilled in you I've always been quite a strong person I've always Mm. been quite independent know my own mind Mm. but I think I've but growing up I was never tested of that resilience really until I you know graduated and I did an amazing couple of years when I first graduated an amazing few years and then it just stopped and I was like oh this is new and it and it and it was tough it was hard and I, I did a job that was you know very well received for the first time ever it was probably the most I got paid and I don't think I worked after that job for about over two years, nothing, and I mean nothing, not not a single thing, and that was hard. That was tough. Were there times over that period of the two years that you ever did you ever consider just going? Yeah, I, I don't done. think I'm cut yeah, out for this. Definitely, absolutely. How did you feel in those moments? Because it's quite, a, they're quite. It's not the right word, but they are quite scary because you you kind of walk in this emotional tightrope and you just can't cling on sometimes. And that's it's oh, it's an I mean it's a, it's a terrible feeling. It's almost like a, a nightmare. It is. And do you know what else I felt is guilty? I felt really guilty in those in those moments because for, for, why why did you feel guilty for what? Because I'd. I felt guilty that I'd chosen to do something that was driven by my own kind of passions and it wasn't quite where I was at and where I was, mm. you know, and my family had supported me and they know I'm doing it. And I'm talking, they did support me emotionally, but to begin with, it was very much financially as well. So I was thinking, am I letting them down? Um, you know, what else could I have done with that? I remember after being almost two years thinking, what could I have done in these last two years? You know, if I'd chosen a different career, I might have done something different but then I was on this like loop of but I have a good life I have a roof over my head I've got great friends I've got great family I've got a great boyfriend but I feel like shit yeah and I I felt so guilty for feeling bad about those things and were I just, you also feeling guilty because you were following a passion and it, it, things weren't working out, but also you you were being 
you know, emotionally and financially supported yeah. by your parents. It was tough. It was, it was, it was, it wasn't a, a joyful time because mm. I did feel very dark about it. And I thought, well, if I don't do this, what am I going to do? Well, that's it. And yeah. I thought and thought and thought about different alternatives. And I thought, I can't, there isn't a plan B. I've never had a plan B. I never, even though I never thought I'd make it as a career, as soon as I kept on going to that next step and then drama school and then getting a job, I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, nothing's going to stop me now kind of thing. And then when it did, it's like, it's a bit of a reality, reality check. And maybe, so, you know, looking back, you might think, well, I had it fairly easy. You know, I just went from school to the everyman and I did school plays and I did, and I, you know, it was quite a natural succession of things. Then suddenly... Bam, it stops. And I think that's when the real work comes in. Yeah. I think that's when you have to dig deep and think, what am I going to do? You know, look yourself and... And, and then it, it also gets to a point where you go, right, come on now. I had to look after myself. I was living in London at the time and I was living with my friend from drama school and I said, I think I've got to go. I think being in London didn't help. I said, and I was... We had, we had a couple more months on our on my contractor that was here flat and I said, I think I've got to go. I think I'm going to go back to Liverpool. And I did. I went back to Liverpool for about three or four months and it's the best mm. thing I ever did. Because I could, it was, yeah. London was like, it felt like it was closing in on me and it felt like everyone around me was doing something and was busy and and I wasn't. <laughs> and I felt well, and I felt selfish and I felt guilty and I felt sad that I wasn't, I trained to do this thing, but I wasn't being able to do it. Um, and, yeah, so I went home for a couple of months, got locked after. <laughs> is that is that what pulled you out of it, by going oh, home yeah. and making that decision so. to get out of the city to go back to Liverpool? Yeah, definitely. And then I went back, I went back a couple of months later, um, but I just needed a bit of time out. Yeah. And to go... Yeah to reassess you know we spoke about it a lot I think it was over a Christmas period and I remember being at home and going if this is what you want to do keep going and you know one of the best bits of advice my mum ever ever I mean she comes up with all kinds of nonsense but the best thing she ever says is what's meant for you won't pass you by and I, it sounds so simple and so maybe a little bit silly but I, I do believe it what is meant for you won't pass you by and and I hold on to that. And then as soon as something good comes in, you do get a job, you're like, oh, great, I'm back. It and it changes, changes in an instant. And it instant, yeah. feels so, all that panic and worry, you think. And then, but I think the feeling of relief and excitement, it makes you realise you're in the right job. You're doing what you're meant to be doing. And yeah, things fall into place yeah. in those moments. And when, do. you know... In the past few months, maybe things have been spinning out of control and you, you have zero, zero control, control in those moments. It's funny, and I've said this before about um, feeling like that when you're in as big a city as, you know, an unforgiving city that, that can be London. But I want to go back to when you did go to drama school and you were leaving Liverpool to go to London. How did that feel? I mean, I'm sure it's a mixture of you know, nervousness and excitement wrapped into one. But it is, it does kind of smack you over the head, London, when you first it, get there. It, I, I certainly found that. It does, but I had this thing of, <laughs> it sounds terrible, I remember my mum and dad bringing me down, helping me unpack, and then I was like, okay, bye, see ya. I was honestly so excited. I, I just, I didn't even, I think my mum and dad were probably a bit upset that I wasn't upset, but I was like, bye, I'm here to yeah. kind of start my life. See ya. I'll be in touch. Um, I thrived on it. I thrived being being independent. And I think as well, because there's always, especially with Tilda Brothers, I was always the baby of the family and the girl and, oh, I can't do that, Kath can't do that. Not in a bad way, but, you know, teasing kind of way. Mm. And similarly to me, English teacher, I always remember I was on the stairs in our house and my brother, my eldest brother, said to mum, oh, mum, give her three months and she'll be back. Because I think mum was a bit worried about me, the baby moving to yeah. London. 
Of course. So another moment of going, I'm not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I won't see you in three months. And I never, I never left. I never came home, apart from intermittently. But I lived down south, so maybe that was part of it. Who knows? Um, But it is a tough city. When, When things are great... It's a brilliant city. And when things are tough, it's hard. It can be brutal. Mm. It can be brutal. But I, again, was very lucky that I've gotten... I made a really amazing few friendships at drama school. Um, And I think that's that's imperative, to make your own little family down there. You know, if you do live away from home, is to find your little tribe. Well, it's also that support as well that you need when things inevitably don't go to plan because as anybody who ever speaks to me or writes an email through the podcast about oh I want to do this training I'm thinking about this I say you know well you know really do think about it and go easy because you know the bad times outweigh the good oh for sure I mean we're unemployed more than we're employed that's a fact you know there's there might be a very small handful at odds but the majority of us are at unemployed but it it, is that just just i think keep going Mm. if it's what if it's what you want to do was it was it something going back to the training at drama school was where was it guild hall i went to yeah yeah so during that time you know you you're you're being thrown everything in the kitchen sink at you and i always think it's very important you try and take what speaks to you oh, and what's right for you. 100%. Um, but were you ever spoken about the reality, the darker times of when things possibly aren't going to go right? Never. I mean, it's, it, it's it, key moments it's like that that I think should be spoken about. It's, and It's really baffling and I don't understand why there isn't more of a an emphasis, even just a slight emphasis on it, you know, just even a little bit of warning, a little bit of what's to come. I think they maybe they, maybe they don't want to scare people off. I don't know, but I definitely feel like there should be, and I think maybe now there is done more to kind you would of hope, you would hope so to, to I mean protect you because you are you're getting thrown in every which way direction, and a lot. Some of it is invaluable. Some of it, you, like you say, you just have to take what sticks. There's some things that I'll never, ever think of or do again. And there's some things that I do all the time that I, I learnt there. But, and also what's right for you what is not right. not be right for somebody else. You know, it's, it's, you're trying to tailor-make yeah. Yeah. This, this career yeah. and this profession that's right for you. And, I, you know, I, I had an amazing time at Guildhall. But they do, there is an element of... Kind of, like you said, they kind of treating everyone in a, in a similar way. I remember, I think it was in, a, in singing, by the end of our second year, I remember our singing teacher saying to me, like, making a thing of it, so, Catherine, you haven't cried yet? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, because I've, I've got nothing to cry about. I'm, you know, and I think that is where, you know, the realisation that I had a very supportive family. I went to London, very grounded, very... Um, I had self-belief and I, I, I didn't crumble. And I think they, they almost want, they, they, you know, the whole thing of they break you down to build you back up. I, don't, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to break down. And it was such a big thing. And I was like, do you want me to cry? <laughs> Is that like, does that mean I've made a breakthrough? Because I've cried. I, I don't, I don't, I, you've got to explain it to me better than just saying it. You haven't cried yet, and this is kind of a rites of passage, and you need to you know, basically. Mm. Um, so yeah, they, it, it isn't necessarily for every individual, but and I, I also think drama school is not for every actor. No, I, I don't. Think I don't so. think it's necessarily the route to go down. It was definitely right for me, um, but I know actors and Ollie, who you know, a boyfriend, he never went mm. to drama school, and I think it's the best thing he ever did not going to drama school. Um, but there's so many avenues of training and education now that is not the traditional route of, and not necessarily London, but, you know, going to do three years at drama school. Yeah, yeah. I think it gives you a, an in in some way. 
because obviously the agents come and see your shows and that's how you kind of... But like you said, there's there's so many more but avenues more and more now. now. You know, you have to look at certainly something like um, the television workshop in I'm not seeing, I mean, look how many people have come from there. Exactly. More and more now, your certain casting directors have been going there yeah. to, to pluck people yeah. out. Yeah. Because they they don't want someone who has gone through the drama school system. Yeah, a lot don't. Can I talk about your accent? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and with regards to drama school. Because some training, you know, they do want to try and drum it out of you. Yep. And did that happen with you? Slightly, yeah. I remember being taught when, you know, we do do accent lessons and then saying about speaking RP. And mm. they wanted us to speak in RP solid. If you were, if you didn't have a natural RP accent, they wanted us to speak in RP all the time for about three months. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to ring home. I'm not going to speak to my friends. I was like, I would put in all the work, but I'm just not going to do that because... Oh, so out, outside Outside, I mean, 24-7. Yeah, 24-7. Right. okay. And I just... If you know, it's like any accent, I'll put the work in. But I'm mm. not going to do it. And, you know, you, I saw actors over the years. It just got less and less and it got diluted and a little bit more. And I think that they believe that having an RP accent is... I see it as another string to me bow. Like, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that I learned it. But I'm never going to change it completely. No. Because it's who I am and it's, it's, I find it very sad when I see people now who I know had a very strong accent and now they, you wouldn't know where they were from. And I'm like, wow, how... Because how? it's a choice. Well, they've made a concerted it's a, it's effort a, it's to a, do it's that, It's a definite they? choice because mm. someone can advise you to do it. And, you know, I've definitely had things in the past with accents. I remember even it was nowhere... Um, it wasn't, sorry, related to our industry. I remember being on a train and I was going through it. I think I was going down for an audition or something. And a guy got chatting to me and blah, blah, blah. I think I was, I was quite young and he said, oh, what role would you like to play? And I was saying, oh, I'd like... Do you know what? I'd like to actually play Juliet. You made me and Juliet. I mean, well, not with that accent, you won't. <laughs> And I must have only been about 18 or something. And I was like, oh, I think that's probably the first time of feeling like, oh, this, you don't, you don't like my accent. Why not? It's just, what's just how I speak. Yeah. And um, so you have to kind of brace yourself a little bit for those kind of things. But ultimately you just have to go, I don't really care. And also stick to what you believe and what's exactly, true to you. Exactly. And I, you know, the older you get, it's a very difficult thing, especially in our our job. You, you're constantly being kind of looked at and, and all those things, but mm. judged and rejection. And I now try to not care about the opinions of people who I don't care about. Because why? Oh, and it's the and it's it, so and it's the hard. Hardest it's, thing. It's nigh on impossible. But I'm trying so hard because why would I care what Joe Bloggs thinks? Yeah. I don't know him from Adam. You know, I'm talking about like people on Twitter or anything like that. Or even this guy on the train. Why do I care? Because I don't know who you are. You don't know me. No. But it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult. And also, it's quite a, you would take that on as quite a personal attack. Oh, it's so personal. What we do is we put ourselves out there <laughs> as, you know, we're, we're our own product. Mm. And I think when someone doesn't like it, you, that you know that even like the child childish nature, and you goes, oh, why you don't want to play with me, you don't want to be my friend, you know. And it's I don't think that goes away. I don't no. I don't think it. If, but you just have to guess like another thing. Just keep going, get oh. through it. That's why I can never watch anything that I do. It's like, no. Nah, too much. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do, you, do you, are you able to watch things? Not straight away. Not straight away. I can, as long as there's a bit of distance. Distance. And a bit of, but also when I'm at home, I don't have a choice because my mum's got everything recorded on Sky anyway. 
She still, uh, no joke, she still got the mill. I see. Yeah, yeah. she still got the, she puts it on every now and again. So Available on 4OD yeah. now, go and watch the mill. Very good drama. Um, do you ever feel, just sticking with the accent thing for a while, I was talking to a journalist a few weeks ago and we were talking, it, was, it wasn't just about accents, although I did bring the subject round to that, but we were talking about um, class and being put into a certain box. Do you feel, having a regional accent, you have been sometimes unjustly put into a certain box? Um, do you know what? Thinking about it, I don't, I've never been asked that question. So I don't, to be honest, no. I don't feel like I've fully experienced that because I've also had a lot of experience. I basically don't work it by accent. So maybe that has something to do with it, of going, well, if I, if they wanted my accent, then maybe that job wouldn't be there anyway. I tend to not do my accent a lot. Honestly, maybe twice I've worked on my own. Um, so, yeah, maybe thinking out loud, maybe, maybe that does play a part. But I've also been lucky enough to... to maybe because I... <laughs> Guilt or did drum it into you of learning RP. I've, I've, you know, done RP quite a lot, and on mm. stage I've done it quite a lot. So I've been very lucky in, in how broad I've been able to play in terms of like class. But the, are these your choices or are these? That's that I'm thinking now. Not very, very rarely. Right. It's always something that's specified. Um, in, in the text, in the, you know, in the text or mm. in the break in the character breakdown. Yeah. Um, but sometimes what annoys me is if they want a specific accent, but then they also say, but you can also do it in your native accent. So I'll go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. But they don't really want it. They're giving you the opportunity, the choice, the choice yeah. to do your own, but they don't want your own. They want what they've asked for. And it's such a conflict of going, well, do I do what I want to do? Or do I try and get a job? It's a really fine balance uh, just do it twice or just do it twice yeah <laughs> well I suppose you can now with self-taste but this is maybe like in the room auditions when you sometimes just get one shot and you're like in the room auditions what are they what, what are they what are you that? talking about what's that that ain't gonna be happening for oh, a long do you know what? I miss so much just getting there 45 minutes too early and sitting in a pret and going over my lines oh come back those days will come back at some point fingers sure. crossed but you're in a good place. Yes, yes. I think it's been tough. It's not been the easiest journey. But we keep going. Life's not easy, is it? And everyone has their own stuff going on. No one has it easy. You just have to keep, just keep going. It sounds so simple and sometimes that's impossible to do. But life yeah, but goes on. Sometimes, And sometimes people need to hear it. Yeah, and... You know, my mum always says, Monday's going to come. Monday's going to come. So just crack on. That seems like a lovely place to end with wise words <laughs> from your mum. From Jamie. Um, Catherine, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. Thank you so much Thank for you taking so time much. and coming on. And I just, and can I just say how much I love your podcast, by the way? I absolutely love it and always have. And I'm very grateful and happy oh well i, I don't <laughs> yeah. take compliments so we'll just wash so over i'll just that. say it we'll just uh, say it very but, quickly and uh, you didn't hear it okay <laughs> well i really uh obviously getting tongue-tied for the first time <laughs> in my life. but yes uh, i you know i appreciate it thank you so much and um hopefully i'll see you in the flesh in the not too distant future fingers crossed stay safe take care, take care. loads of love. love bye Another episode is done. Oh, it feels good to say that again after such time away. Um, how brilliant was Catherine? She's so lovely. She's such a breath of fresh air. And I really feel we need these conversations at the moment that are going to give us a little jolt and be a tonic for us. Um, so I can't thank Catherine enough. She's always such 
a bundle of, of energy. Um, and if you've been lucky enough to work with her or you know her, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. But hopefully if you don't, you'll get a taste, you'll have got a taste, rather, um, of who she is on this episode. Uh, and I can't thank her enough for coming on because... Um, we were supposed to, it's a very dull, boring story. We were supposed to do it a couple of weeks before. We had some technical issues. We ironed it out. We got it sorted. And I'm so pleased we did. It's great that she uh, kicked off our TSP drought of episodes. Now, do you want some homework? It, no, it, it's fun, homework. Um, over the coming weeks, uh, I've got two incredible actors and an incredible spoken word artist slash storyteller coming on but here what about i'll give you some homework for next week and look i know you're watching telly but what telly are you watching what i want you to do is i'd love you to watch if not all of it then a few episodes of I Hate Susie, which is now available on Sky and now TV. Um, look, that's legal. I'm sure you can find it illegally somewhere. I'm not saying you should, and I'm not saying I've done that. I'm saying I'm sure it's possible. But if not, then go down the now TV Sky route, who are officially not sponsors of this podcast. Um, watch the Billy Piper drama I Hate Susie. Because next week, I have somebody who is closely connected to that. And she's quite brilliant. So, until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. And it's really good to be back. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Try and find some small little pleasures every day. Look after yourself. I'll see you next Thursday. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. 